Welcome to Always See Everything, the movie podcast where we rank, review, riff on every single film in the Criterion Collection. I'm Anthony, and this is my totally real, definitely not imaginary, she's just from a different country girlfriend, she's, you know, super hot, better than yours, smarter, Sean. I also go to another school, by the way. Right, uh, in a different country. Right, yeah, and I, I like, I actually have leggings like those, but they're way tighter, and like my tits are way bigger, and uh, also I'm, I'm like way hotter than your fake girlfriend. I think you mentioned at least part of that. Oh fuck! Did I say the fake part? No, oh, no, she's not fake. She's very real. Uh, you sounded today... so pissed off doing the intro. <laughs> yeah, I... I know it's been a second for it's everybody. Yeah, I mean, not that people aren't gonna. This is the episode that we're recording after the break, though it's not the one that we uploaded after mm-hmm. the break. Right. So we're this just, year, I mean, we're doing. This we're is our first episode just... record of 2024, which so... you couldn't tell because we were so seamless about, like, celebrating New Year's <laughs> a couple episodes ago or whatever. We're both really pissed because Santa yeah. got us so much coal. Right, and an imaginary girlfriend. On today's episode, we are talking... Uh, Federico Fellini's and Alberto Lautaro. Uh, it's Variety Lights. We're talking uh, the the harder they fall, or, or sorry, the harder they come. And then we're talking uh, Good Morning, Ozu's Good Morning. And then we got the Blob. Um, yeah, you're right. It's a really natural the- lineup. Just a, <laughs> just a standard kind of. I mean, it's like the Barbenheimer of. Uh, I was trying to think of another like famous double feature, and I couldn't really develop the riff beyond that because it's I don't like know watching that. The Room and uh, Troll Two. Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, uh, dang it, what was I gonna say? Time Warp. What am I? Why, why am I forgetting the name of that very famous movie that you watch at midnight? What? Oh, oh, fuck. The Rocky the Horror ver- Picture Rocky Show. Horror it's Picture not Show. Even title. Well, it's no, the it title, is a good the title, title. It's is just not a very descriptive one. Yes, it kind of butchers the the thing. Yeah, Rocky Horror Picture Show in the room. It's like those don't really go together, but they both fulfill the same function. So, like, I don't Kinda, know. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, so I don't know. In the same it's... way, Variety Lights is a lot like The Blob for what it is. is but I'm trying to think of. See, now I'm now I'm getting caught up on this. I'm trying to think <laughs> of another like two movies that are a famous double feature. You know, mm-hmm. like, but like different, but you're saying not the same franchise, just like, you know, you throw like, no, like, yeah, like, uh, two movies that are like, oh, you know, you should, uh, you should have a movie night where we watch these back to back. I mean, there's stuff that gets paired together, like Dark Side of the Moon and uh, Wizard of Oz. That's right. That's not really the same thing. I'm trying to think point, of like Point Break and Fast I mean? and Furious. Because they're like basically the same movie. I've seen that before. What people but watch. I movie. think in order for it to work, both of us would have to be like, "Oh my god, why didn't right. I think of that before?" Yeah. And there isn't really one of those. I don't think. I'm trying to. I'm sure there is. We just are. We're grasping it. We'll we'll figure it out by the end of the episode. We'll figure it out. If we yeah. do, we'll make it the title of the episode. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Um. 
So, Sean, what did you think about this week? Because this was a real, this is maybe one of the most grab baggy weeks we've ever had. There's mm-hmm. nothing tying these together thematically or uh, anything across country, across, uh, you know, stages of life. There's middle class drama going on here. There's lower class drama going on here. There's the blob. You know, like, I don't know how to, like, tackle these as as a as a whole together. It really brings together, it really brings to light the variety of things that happen in movies. <laughs> it's fair. You know, sometimes you got good morning where, like, nothing really happens for a long time. And you then... know, sometimes you're having a good morning, but then... A lot of things start happening, and a lot of people are really pissing you off, but you think the harder they come, the harder they'll fall. Right. Right. So many different things, uh, you know, flashing in your face, a a variety of lights. I thought I already did that one. I was just going to do the two, because we already did variety lights and... Wait, oh, we haven't done the blob yet. Right. Sometimes you're having... You think you're having a... (laughs) Fuck me. This sucks. This all sucks. Podcast is over. It's a five-minute episode. Uh, So, I enjoyed today, this week, uh, for the most part. I just enjoyed it very little. (laughs) You know? I enjoyed it a bit. So, speaking of things that you enjoy a bit, and then maybe completely forget about afterwards... Uh, Variety Lights. Let me read the Criterion description for it. Made in collaboration with Alberto Latuada, Federico Fellini's directorial debut unfolds amid the colorful backdrop of a traveling vaudeville troupe whose chaotic impresario, Peppino de Filippo, is tempted away from his faithful mistress, Giulietta Massina, by the charms of an, an ambitious young dancer, Carla del Poggio. Through the details of what the division of duties was between the two directors are un- the oh sorry though the details of what the division of oh, yeah that was crazy directors are unclear this lively backstage capriccio is unmistakably Fellini-esque in its whimsical fascination with the heightened reality carnivalesque characters and exotic allure of the world of show business. In the first of her celebrated collaborations with her director husband Giulietta Massina displays the spirited vulnerability that would soon become an archetype of cinematic emotiveness. I, I, I like that yes. they are shouting out Julieta Messina as the best part of this movie, because she absolutely is, but she's not a huge part of it, mm. which really speaks to how I don't think that there's a ton going on here. Yeah. As the resident Fellini apologist, this isn't a strikeout, but... It's a single. Yeah, this is... Yeah. He bunted or whatever. and I think that... Forced. I think I, mine was good. No. No, wait. I think that's me saying no, a I, single. I think oh, I guess they're not mutually exclusive. I think he balked while he was pitching, but then he was able to get that runner at a different point during the same game, like a different inning. I, I think we need to complicate this a little more. I think... Oh, yeah, for sure. He looks over at his coach, and his coach gives him the single, to, the signal to throw, like, a slider. 
And instead, later during the same game, he like he he does okay for a for a pitcher, you know. Yeah. Do you follow baseball? <laughs> Do I follow? That was more baseball? coherent than I could have put together. I don't follow baseball. I used to love baseball. I was a. By the way, those were all sports metaphors, and I am against them. But um, I I I don't. I was used to be a big baseball kid. I was a, I followed baseball. I knew everyone. I, I'm, I'm a Cubs fan and I used to know every single person in the lineup. I used to have it memorized and I would like quiz my friends on it and be really annoying. Um, but uh, then one day I discovered I wasn't good at baseball. Actually, I didn't discover. It was more of like a slow realization. <laughs> it was more of a slow, like, yeah, I guess I'm never going to be good at this kind of feeling. And I was just like, all right, well, I guess movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here we go. That's it, fine. That's kind of, but I, so I know plenty about baseball. I don't know anything about like what's going on currently. And my, my parents are huge Cubs fans. They could tell you about everything that's going on constantly on a day-to-day basis. I watched them go to the world series and I was like, all right, cool. We did it. Good enough we for me. It. We're done. We're finished. The movie's over. Right. <laughs> I respect that. I see. I was like a mm, sports ball kid for a while. As in, like, I thought that I was smarter than it because I like sure. Batman. Um, right, right. <laughs> which I think is funny because you were probably both of those kids simultaneously. I was. I was both. Of, again, I I didn't like foot. Like, I was always like, oh, football fans. You know, like. American I, football, you mean. Yes, American football fans. I thought it was cool. Well, because I'm Mexican. So, like, real football, like soccer or whatever, I thought was cool, but like something I could never achieve, if that made any sense. Like, because I'm like, I'm surrounded, I know some people who are football fans, who are football fans, right? But um, I'm not one of them. And so like, that's just sort of like, oh, it's whatever. American football, I was always like, oh yeah, sport ball. We all love when the flag goes on the field and the guy comes Mm. out and says, this guy did good things and this guy did bad things. It was so tempting for that was like the holy grail of being an annoying kid for so long was like I need so I need to grasp at straws to be like finding a way that I'm better than other people Mm. and I can't find it so that'll be my version of it is doing the sports ball thing. I think the thing is I was not a kid I constantly try to not be the I, I, especially as a kid, but a little bit now it definitely continues. Like, I'm not a guy who makes fun of things for being popular. I actually mm. think that that's stupid because it's like, you're being as controlled by what's popular as if you, like, liked stuff just because it was popular. And good. I don't yeah, assume people... Right, and I, and, I, and, I, and I don't assume people like, like things because they're popular. Most people, like, can you... Most people don't like things because they're popular. They just like things, and they have, and there happen to be a lot of them, right? Um, or it's manufactured. Right. Things are popular because people like them. Exactly. So, like, whatever, right? But uh, so I was not like a sport ball kid, except for football, and that was more because I guess there was like a little bit of like. That's a rivalry thing. I think. That's yeah, cool. like baseball is the real pastime, and then everyone goes, "Oh, well, it's Sunday. I'm gonna go watch football." And I'm like, "No, go." it's baseball seasons off we're doing school now you know like i don't know i think that that's kind of fine because it's like that feels more like a sports style rivalry yes i think is i mean my my opinion now on sports is that everyone should try and follow like one and i have a pretty Mm. 
open viewpoint as to what that can be. Like, if it's a shitty one like lacrosse, that's fine. Like, just because being able to follow sports is just, like, it's a nice communal experience to be able yes. to share something with other people. And I like that. that like, isn't like, that doesn't matter. Like, yeah. It's yeah. like, I have my opinions about which sports are good. Like uh-huh. I don't think much of baseball to me, the right. tiered major American sports in descending order are basketball, American mm-hmm. football, hockey. Those two are pretty close. And then baseball. You put hockey on the same level as football. That's crazy. Yeah, just in terms of how fun I think they are to watch. I will say, I will say, I love watching hockey. I had a, I had a friend in all throughout high school who loved watching hockey, and so I'd go over to his house and be like, "Oh no, there's like a hockey game on," mm-hmm. and like I watch hockey. Hockey is fun to watch. It's oh just, yeah. I don't care about anything. Whatever. Like I, I mean, with as with all sports, I don't care about like the people behind the scenes yet. So who cares? Right, and that's <laughs> you know the I mean? thing that. Yeah. Right, it, that you have to get into or whatever. But it, I think it's also the thing that I, I feel that way now about television, right? I always say, like, oh, I'm a movie guy. You know, screw those TV people who are like, oh, yeah, Game of Thrones is, like, amazing. Or, you know, you know, uh, The Sopranos is as good as The Godfather or whatever. I'm like, no, it's movies are the way to go. And it's not because, like, television is popular. It's just because, no, like, rivalry. Movies better. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. I probably... I mean, I take The Sopranos over The Godfather, but I don't think that's fair. Just because, mm. like, I mean, in a desert island style scenario. Oh, obviously, you would take The Sopranos. Yeah, yeah, there's like a bunch of it, and The Godfather has three movies, but like, one of them's bad. <laughs> one of sure, them's yeah, bad. but if we're taking, if we're talking even just yeah. the highs, like the best of The Godfather versus best of Sopranos, I would still probably take Sopranos. Sure, but you sure. know, that's not it's not insane either way. Uh, so Variety Lights, like I said, I'm the resident Fellini apologist. Mm, of the two of us, right. But this was maybe one of the least memorable film experiences of my life. <laughs> of your life. Oh this my made so little of an impression on me. Like, I recall it with the same level of familiarity as the Curious George movie that came out in like 2000. Don't you dare. I love that movie. That movie. I'm was, saying that that's how much that I That movie's so it. good. Remember when Upside Down once, plays at the beginning of the movie? Remember when Upside Down plays and you're like, this is the greatest experience I've ever had in my life? The only part that? of it I really remember is when they were in the museum. You mean like, <laughs> that's most of the movie. That, that's like saying like, the only part I really remember about Star Wars is when they're on like the desert planet. <laughs> like, Well, I remember... I remember Curious George being in a museum with men in the yellow hat. Yep. And the fact that that was the whole movie is nice to me, which tells you a lot about my feelings on Variety Lights. (laughs) Wait, I really want to, wait, I really want to talk about Curious George. You can do it. You can put it on the list. Okay. Things we'd rather talk about (laughs) than the stuff we talk about on our podcast. The ever-growing list. (laughs) That includes what is currently happening in my Baldur's Gate playthrough. Oh, wait, hold on. He still had movement, so he just got out of the radius. <laughs> Never mind. It's very impactful that the cover to Variety Lights says starring Gioletta Messina, who's like the third lead if you're generous. She's in maybe 15% of the movie. Yeah. Again, 
generous. She's, I don't, it's just not that memorable. It's just not that interesting. Some of the, yeah, oh, this is where Fellini came from. Oh, it's some original Fellini stuff, right? Uh, this is where Fellini does his thing. This is how he is. Um, and now he, and now we can look back and be like, oh yeah, sure. But it honestly reminds me of like Christopher Nolan's first movie. Not that it's that bad, but Christopher Nolan's first movie, you watch it and you're like, yeah, he's doing some of the Nolan stuff. Cool. Can go about the rest of my life not like having seen that. It just mm -hmm. he's doing it like less good. You may as well start your Nolan watch with Memento, like it, if unless you're a completionist, right? So, uh, yeah. You know what's weird? I always think that Christopher Nolan's first movie is Pie, which is Darren Aronofsky's <laughs> debut. Yeah, not I mean, even really close. But no. doesn't it kind of feel? Haven't like seen. It, haven't seen Pie. Okay, but I, I go ahead and watch with... it, and then maybe you'll agree. I don't know. Okay, hold That's on. Let me just sense. let me just time travel. Give me a second. Okay. Yeah, I can totally see where you're coming from. Um, now that I'm back, you know, I I totally understand what you mean, and I think the vibes of it are, are like you can get sort of a Nolan esque kind of the vibes of feeling. it, the mise en scène. Right, right. Some of the characters really, you know. <laughs> Some of the characters and the shots. Yeah. And the, the soundtrack. Really, you know, very Nolan. Uh -huh. You know, but not like exactly. You know, obviously this is someone else uh, making this thing. Yeah, uh -huh. uh, Variety Lights is is not great, and I think we've devoted as much time as we're gonna to it. Overall, uh, Gioletta Messina, I one of the better performances in the collection. Um, like, yeah, just one of the not, better actresses, like, honestly. I'm, oh, after sure. two films, I'm willing to say that. Oh, I'm yes. I'm surprised you agreed with me that quickly. I guess Knights in Kabir of Kabiria just made that much of an impression. Mm -hmm. Um. I mean, on both of us, which is good. Yeah. I think I mean, that, that was my only problem with Knights of Kiberia at all is just that she is so good and the rest of the, and the movie itself is like good. It just, I wish it was a five-star movie because she is like giving a performance of a lifetime or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like I wish that I was watching her give this movie, give this performance in a slightly better movie, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I want to briefly talk about maybe some of the other characters in this. Sure. Can you name any of their names or are we going to... Uh, I have it written down. So Lily is the main girl. Okay, That's sure. what I know. She's, um... The thing that kind of rubbed me the wrong way about her oh. was... Kind of the latent misogyny, I guess, in her portrayal. She, because she starts out this kind of very wide-eyed, you know, like reverent for no particular reason. It, she is a very like written by a guy type character, and I know a right. lot of people like kind of talk about that, but it does feel very true in this case, where it's like she's at once kind of embodying like the the perfect virginal purity and then she once we are supposed to not like her then it turns over to her being like this like you think we're supposed to not like her That's at some reason. point yeah i think we're supposed to see Divide. like oh she's strayed from the light you know sure like no I, I don't read that at all that's interesting I yeah thought, well i i think that yeah. it's supposed to be like a temporary thing 
Mm. But it's it's like, oh, you know, we're supposed to start out by seeing her as this kind of like daughter style figure for this guy to mentor slash fuck, you know, like that kind of thing <laughs> where it's like condescending. Okay. Sure. Like, sexualizing somebody while it's like, that kind of thing. And then when she has like, when she goes off to be a showgirl, there's this, this sense because they focus very intently on how gross and exploitative and leering it is Mm -hmm. and i mean on top of being like sex negative and whatever if you want to get mad at that that's fine not really my business no Um, wait wait hold up hold up i think what you're saying is that like that's like kind of gross and you're supposed to be like yeah she like kind of got what she deserves or like yeah i think that that's I didn't read that at all. To me, she was sympathetic in those moments, you know? I think she's sympathetic too, but it is, it is like, oh, she made the wrong decision. And this is what happens when you stray from, from, you know, the, the good mentorship of the guy who has your best interests at heart. So it felt condescending in that way. Interesting. I didn't see that at all. I just thought that it was just, these characters are never going to escape really the, into you know, the show business that they adore so much, right? I mean, that's a very Fellini-esque thought, is just like, you know, they're all in it together. They're all kind of... Uh, Fellini makes Muppet movies. We, I think we established that on, like, And the Ship Sails On, right? Is like, these are a bunch of Muppets, you know, putting together a show, and mm-hmm. one of, and, and this is basically the equivalent of, like, Miss Piggy, you know, trying to achieve her dreams in another way, and she fails, you know? And then she comes back, and or then she like gets to talk to them and they're like, Oh no, no, we're doing super well or whatever. And they're not, they're the same place that they've always been at, you know? And yeah. it felt like, I, I felt like there was pity for her in the same way there was pity, pity for our main character. You know, they both have our, our, our what's the name, name of the main dude our our Kermit, you know? Did you forget the name of Kermit the Frog? No, no, no. What's the main no in the movie? In the oh, movie, okay. I was about right. to be like, that is very out of character for you. No, oh, I, I don't fucking remember. remember. <laughs> no, okay. Our chaotic impresario, played by Pepino de Filippino, Filippo, right? He's like de Filippino. He's, he's a, got some Pinoy excellence going on. He seems That's like he's both not good at. It seems like they're both saying, like, you know, he's a, he's a bad person to a certain extent. But also, like, no matter how much he struggles, he's never going to escape this level of his career, right? He's never going – he's going to try new ideas. He's going to, you know, be, oh, what if I got a trumpet player to do this thing from, you know, from off the street and blah, blah, blah. And he's never going to ascend above that. And I think that I felt the same way about her. Um it's just like, oh, you're never, you're gonna continue to be, what, whether that's sex po- positive or sex negative or whatever. Like, you're gonna continue to be like cleared at for until you stop being pretty, and that's gonna be it. You know? Yeah. Like, in a in a very in a you know obviously in a very youth centered way. I just mean I didn't mean that to reflect my own opinions, but you know what I mean. Like, you're gonna keep on doing this until the public decides, like, yeah, you're not worth it anymore, and then you will fall into the the the. The, what other, the other women in this movie end up falling into where it's like you what is your place here as as a performer and um i felt that that was pitiable i don't think i didn't think of it as like against her i didn't feel like it was like saying like she made the wrong decision i think it was saying no no matter what decision she makes she's always going to be trapped not really fulfilling her dreams and lying to uh everyone else about like no, no no everything's going so well i'm having such a great time you know when actually she's 
Okay. I, I don't think that they're mutually exclusive, personally. Oh, interesting, sure. Um, but I, either way, it did feel ultimately just condescending to me, and that kind of aura was retained throughout, like, the the whole thing towards her character. Like, the, the main guy having this kind of... I don't know. I don't think that he's supposed to be, you know, you're not supposed to idolize him or whatever, but the overall tone of the film did feel very much like from a similar, a similar perspective as to what he was coming from. And I don't know. I tend to like Fellini more when he distances himself from his characters. And this felt very much kind of in the weeds of that mysterious man whose name that no one will ever know. I mean, from a filmmaking perspective, I I guess we may as well shout that out briefly because he's one hmm. of the most iconic filmmakers, you know, visually and whatever, blah, blah, blah. Right, like we right. said with Knights of Gaberia, or at least I said, or at least I thought, um, hmm. the lack of color is, yeah, it, it's not the end of the world, but it's... No. I, I think that Fellini ultimately unlocked his potential later on when color... With Amarcord. I mean, we're talking, right yeah. now so far, we're talking about Amarcord, which is just such a color fest. Right. Um, but besides that, what I do want to shout out is I love the way, like Kurosawa, he's very good at directing crowds and large portions of extras. I like the way that the audience in all of the scenes that had an audience, like, reflected the character of the scene. Like, it's simple, but it's effective. And I like that stuff. Um, I think that, like, that's kind of an underrated skill with a lot of directors is that ability to do that kind of to to be a conductor of an orchestra when Mm. like the orchestra are his people right you know does that make sense that does make sense that's worth shouting out i think i think i really i think i really summarized that some summarized that thought about fellini when I just said, like, he makes Muppet movies. But yeah, you know, you, you really, really into like Yeah, yeah, you know, I just, basically, I'm just, I'm just like, I'm <laughs> repeating whatever you shoulder. say. But worse, because I don't know that much about the Muppets. All right, fair enough. All right, y'all, you, you ready to move I'm on? A I'm a Muppet cell. Or wait, what's well, like the opposite of a Muppet? Uh, a Muppet. No, try again. <laughs> <laughs> Say something else. I don't like that one. The Fraggles from Fraggle Rock? Are they the opposite? I'm a Fraggle cell. You're a Fraggle Got it. Nice. Uh, all right. Then as we move on, I just want to remind everyone that uh, the uh, Curious George movie, according to INDB Trivia, the ship that takes Ted and George to the U.S. is named H.A. Ray after the author of the Curious George books, Hans Augusto Ray. So I thought it was a girl who wrote those. I you know did why I too, that? because that seems like a girl name. No disrespect. H.A. Ray. Yeah, I also I think that some of the like, I think it's also that I used to watch these animated shorts that starred Curious George, and they were narrated by a woman, and so I just kind of always assumed that it was a woman. So, mm. well, the books were always read to me by my mom, so maybe that's uh, why. That's it. Yep. All right, so moving on. <laughs> this is a curious podcast. The curious uh, George. The curious case of, of George. <laughs> there we go. No, it's Whatever. the curious George of Benjamin Button. 
The cur- oh. Hold in on. the yellow hat. Uh-huh. I, that was too far. Speaking of fun titles, The Harder They Come. Sean. Oh, like- that's a, oh, man. You that's didn't even really realize that one. it's a funny, it's a funny title. I don't know. I think it's just like too perfect. Uh huh. Where it's like, what do you want me to do with this? It's kind of like already <laughs> it's complete everything. on its own, right? Yeah, on its right. own merits, it's like, right, right? I mean, what can you even say? You could fill in the blanks there. Speaking, Speaking of, of filling in the blanks, I could fill in the blanks of not having read nope. the title. Yep, the reggae superstar Jimmy Cliff is Ivan, a rural Jamaican musician who journeys to the city of Kingston in search of fame and fortune. Pushed to desperate circumstances by shady record producers and corrupt cops, he finally achieves notoriety as a murderous outlaw. Boasting some of the greatest music ever recorded in Jamaica, The Harder They Come brought the catchy and subversive rhythms of the Rastas to the U.S. in the early 1970s. I had to fight myself, every part of myself, tooth and nail, to not do the voice when I was reading that. I liked this movie. This movie's good. This movie is very good, but I don't, I mean, do you love it? Can you say that you love it? Are you there? Uh, I can say that I love it. I can say that I, I think this is a great movie. I think it deserves a place in the collection, not just for its significance, but because it's genuinely a great movie. I don't think it's like masterpiece level. It's not going in my like, uh, uncut gems or above kind of bar by any means, but it is really good. And, um, yeah, my, my, I mean, my biggest complaint with it is just Bonnie and Clyde already exists. And that's, you know, a very American perspective. But otherwise, I think that this movie rules. I haven't seen Natural Born Killers. Is that just, like... Have not either, because I am a bad okay. person. Because that has to be, like, the ultimate of that, right? No, I mean, it's Bonnie and Clyde. What are you talking about? That's the... No, yeah, that's I'm saying it has to be the ultimate, this is just Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, I mean, we keep on doing it. What was it that... uh, Badlands? Badlands is also that way? Yeah, it's a good story. It is a good story. But also, I mean, this one doesn't really have a a Bonnie or whatever. It's just Clyde. It's just just Clyde, yeah. And without addressing, like, his impotence or whatever. That's an interesting way to start, actually, because his relationship, Ivan's, with his love interest is kind of one of the things that belies how interesting his character is, Mm. because he is very much a kind of, like, the heroic outlaw archetype, right? Mm. But he's just not very heroic. I think that from the beginning, he has this sense to him of, like, listlessness and vacuousness that maybe it's just Jimmy Cliff. What's that? You may as well be like the Hoover, Mr. Hoover, because you you love that word, vacuousness. I love it. Like vacuous, desolate, all of my favorite Mm. words kind of mean the same (laughs) thing. (laughs) But uh, maybe it's that Jimmy Cliff just isn't really a natural actor. I don't think he's bad in this, but he is very... In the beginning, when he's supposed to sort of be an everyman type, then he's just, like, not very convincing. And this does feel very independent film in the sense that a lot of them, a lot of the scenes just don't have a ton of momentum. And there's this kind of sense that 
the director understands how to make a shot that looks decently professional on its own. Sure. But maybe the editing isn't fully there. Maybe, But I don't think that that's a detriment. There's this kind of like gritty feel to it that works in really well with the setting and the characters. So I don't think that's the end of the world. But mm. Ivan feels from the beginning like he's like he's kind of a, a reflection of his society to invoke mm. kind of the the easy trope there but he's very much sure. like unfulfilled and has this sort of vague sense of fame and ambition like i i don't even think it needs to be said how great the music is in here oh like, yeah i'm not this movie is like, not a movie without it for sure yeah i'm not like a reggae expert by any means i don't listen to a ton of it besides you know the ones that everybody does but holy shit like both of the main songs in this immediately like hopped on all of my favorite playlists mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's like so fucking good but the harder they come especially has this sense of like i'm gonna get my due you know like it has this yes like i i deserve something i don't know what and i but i know that people are trying to stop me and fuck them because i will take what i want and there's the it's interesting because there's this conflict between the idea that yeah like being a a colonialized nation of a lot of people who are just in poverty and are being exploited by corrupt cops and businessmen like yeah that there is this sense of of justice like yeah they should get their due but also when ivan says it you realize ultimately that he means it in the sense of like no no matter what no matter who I have to kill or how crazy I have to go or how many like responsibilities that I ignore. Like he just abandons his, his girlfriend. Like Mm. I am going to get as much money and fame as possible. Right. Which I think is is cool because that's how, that's how people feel sometimes, you know, like that's how, that's how, I mean, that's what touches so many people is just like his, his revolutionary spirit is not political. It's not, um, how do I say this? It, this movie, it, it's not coming from a place of like, um, like uprising. It's coming from a place of just wanting something and yeah, selfishness. You're right. Yeah. Co- like wanting it really bad and like fighting for it. And so yeah, it's, just... it's kind of inherently very depoliticized, mm. you know, and people kind of, I, I think that that is an intelligent part of this movie is how it sort of acknowledges the dichotomy between personal selfishness Mm -hmm. being mistaken for kind of revolutionary fervor like it's not he he's not productive really he doesn't create anything he can just destroy he can just you know and it harms the people who do like care about who do feel the same way as he does right like mm-hmm. like everyone's like we got to catch him because uh we're not getting we're not profiting off of his you know his wrist now that's also a form of control or whatever but like he does not seem to care very much about that what he cares about is getting his picture in the paper getting mm-hmm. people to look at him getting a legendary death that's going to be seen by a bunch of people you know that he that he's going to feel like oh you know people are going to you know, make movies about me and everything. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I love that legendary death aspect too. I mean, you know, obviously I, 
I really like. I, I find that thematically very wait, interesting. Wait, wait, Sean likes a legendary. No, I know, I know, I know. We don't have to do it every time. Listen, <laughs> I'm acknowledging it. You don't have to. Um, you were a little slow on it, so I, I had to. I had no, to. I wasn't. You interrupted me as I was saying. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, you were slow. You know what I'm doing? I'm okay. making, I'm making the grab my nuts motions. <laughs> you know in Breaking Bad when they grab their nuts when they disapprove of something? Watch that show again. You'll see it happens every single scene. It's awesome. I think it's really weird to refer to that, which is just a thing that people do. As, but it like, happens Breaking so Bad. much that, It happens like every fucking scene. It's crazy. But whatever. That mm-hmm. go Listen, go rewatch Breaking Bad and you'll know. Everybody I will seems go to be doing watch that. Breaking Bad because I'm a bad person who doesn't There like you go. It's fine. Whatever. You don't, <laughs> you don't need to do anything. You, yeah. you don't need to be whoever. You can fucking listen. Listen to me. Okay. I don't have anything to say. I just thought you should listen. <laughs> hey, it's like you just did a metaphor for the movie that, we're t- that we were talking about. There hey, listen to me. Everyone, listen to me. I don't have anything to say. I just really thought, you know, don't we all want to be listened to? Bring it back. Bring it back around. It's but totally yeah, like the weird. the. Well, now you messed me all up because you brought around to how good my transition was, even when I didn't realize. <laughs> Whatever, you talk for a second. I'll think of it. I think this movie has some great. Uh, I mean, I, this movie is a nice hangout movie while also being very poignant. Like it, it's a lot. It, it's got some slow parts. It's got a lot of uh, setting a scene, really making the uh, area feel like a character is 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 totally. It's uh, it, it's totally its mo. Um. I like that. I love the outfits. I love. I mean, for an independent movie, this is a movie movie. You know, this is a capital M. We're gonna throw a bunch of production on screen, even though it's you know also like kind of. It's about slums. You know, it's about bad play, uh, air, bad areas, and 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 how hard it is to to work in those. And so uh, I, I really appreciate that it has that stylization without being over the top or or silly about it. Um, like well, I, you got you got, I, you got something? Yeah. Oh, I I've got plenty here, but I want to drill down because we both mentioned at this point how much this feels like an independent film in mm. a way that I don't think anything else we've watched really does. There's been really? low budget stuff, but I mean, looking I mean, through the list, like they all feel like kind of professional shows. professional studio productions. What was that again? Carnival of Souls or Night of the Living Dead, like those. Yeah, are- there's a couple. Okay, yeah. Th- so there are yeah. there are a few. There are a handful, but Ghost Dog. To an extent, I mean that felt mm-hmm. like a professional, someone who was like a professional at making independent films. You know, sure. like a filmmaker. I don't know how much experience Jim Jarmusch had in like the studio system at that time, but there's kind of a roughness to this. I mean. I believe this sure, is the sure. only film that the filmmaker ever made. Mm. I mean, uh, no, 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 no. Up, I but. was I was actually looking into him because we were just going to talk about the director at some point. Uh, mm. I it seems he has made other stuff, but uh, this is his main. This is what he's known for, right? Also, he is a Jamaican guy. He is a white Jamaican guy, mm. which is interesting. I don't know. I mean, I guess I don't know how interesting it is, but like, you know, it really depends on. I mean, I think that that's a complex issue for 
yeah. knows a little bit more about uh, Jamaican re- race relations would be able to to tackle. But uh, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, he's got some other movies. I was double checking. He he mm-hmm. he's definitely directed. At, oh, he's directed one other movie. So there you a go. little bit of of other stuff. But yeah, there's this kind of roughness to it, which is good. It's endearing, and it's not like incompetence it's just sort of you make do with what you have it's got a very independent spirit to it you know but i i mean i'm glad that they were able to get jimmy cliff for this even though like i said i don't think i think that he embodies the character very well even if like as an actor he you know could be a little bit more polished but that's not what you want from this is polish so it's no you don't want polish no. I think that he really lives in it. I, I actually really respect him because I, I generally think that he – this is a character that is all about performance. It's all about looking cool, mm-hmm. feeling cool, right? Uh, and I think he I think he nails it. The, the sort of performative aspect of being cool um, is, is really played all over this guy. And that is hard to weaponize. If you have someone who's like a music star, you know uh, – in, in a movie then it could be very easy for that guy to be like all right well here are my angles here's the way that you're gonna make me look good or whatever but instead mm-hmm. it feels like they're weaponizing that idea you know weaponizing the idea of like a movie star wanting to or uh, sorry a music star wanting to look cool as this guy really wants to be seen as cool he wants people to like scream his legend and you know or whatever and um i don't He's know got an edge to it yeah, but he's also got it right. But the other thing is, he will be cool at the expense of every single other person. Uh, another thing that I was really interested in is that Curious George is the last American family-friendly hand-drawn animated movie released theatrically up until The Princess and the Frog, which was released the same year. But for some reason, IMDb trivia thinks that's a fun fact. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> It's I like that. That's pretty good. <laughs> it's so fun. It's just, it's the same year. I don't know. What do you want? Uh, what do we want? Whoops, I was wrong. Nope, I was wrong. It's two years later. Never mind. But still, like, that's not that crazy. Come on. No, that's not a very good stat. That's I feel like you could think of one single more funner fact than nope. that. <laughs> I think it's good to add that, though. I think it's really important to our discussion um i just i mean this guy is the man with the yellow hat for sure um Mm. he he definitely wears Mm. a yellow hat many times throughout this movie and he is a man he he presents masculine so you know he does he is a little bit femme though sure but you know spectrum blah 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 right yeah well, I, I'm glad that you acknowledged his outfits because he, he mean, looks great. I mean, again, it's like this thing of he like looks great. he looks cool, and he's constantly try, he sends a picture of himself to the paper and everything, and you know, trying to look imposing. And it's this thing of like people are looking at that, being like, "Look at him! He's a revolutionary. He's he's really saying what we're all thinking or whatever." And in the end, A, they kill his picture because they don't want his picture and they can control it and they can do whatever they want because they are the man or whatever, right? Um, but then, and but also, uh, 
he's just doing that because he wants to look cool. The his end game is just being well known and famous and having a cool death. His end game yeah. does not have anything to do with the other people who respect him, you know? Like he's just as rapacious and exploitative and in some ways like wicked as really? the other people that I mean he kills so many people. <laughs> yeah. Like he's he's probably got a higher body count than like his fucking the the corrupt record producer or whatever. Like, oh yeah. Than ma- most guy, in, the... than any individual in this movie. Yeah. But I mean that's part of what makes it I mean that is what makes him interesting is that he has mm-hmm. this sort of like he is he ends up embodying nobility while right. himself being kind of a piece of shit which is yep. cool i like that he's he's a he's a cool character and oh. i think that um like it is not kind of the movie that you would make about jamaica if you were like an american filmmaker because it sure. would you know it would seem a little bit insulting and demeaning but because this feels to remake very bonnie much, and clyde like, in a different country would be pretty insulting and demeaning also well sh- i mean I think you can't have Bonnie and Clyde with only Clyde, so I don't know. I wouldn't it's, call it, it a remake. I'm not saying it's a remake. I just mean that that I mean I feel like people would point that out as like it's you're telling the same story. You're saying a lot of the same things without like the sexual aspect really spelled out here, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, and and if uh you know if some American guy like showed up in Jamaica and was like I'm gonna make a movie or whatever then people would be like you just you just Americanized it right mm-hmm. but because this you know is a very Jamaican film and I think that there uh, a lot of people embrace it as being very authentic including yeah it's of its people. time it's of its place it's of its culture yeah it's, it's awesome too and it's just awesome I, yeah, it's... I immediately was so I, I immediately like picked up my phone and like googled like the harder they come criterion blue when or whatever and you know not, nothing seems to be on the horizon or anything but uh i really hope to own this movie because i would love to rewatch it sometime. Mm-hmm. good soundtrack to own too that's a nice yeah. Vinyl oh yeah i just found that it's on spotify i'm definitely going through it mm-hmm. that's what i've been doing all uh, right yeah i think we're about ready to wrap this one up anything else yep. you got uh, this was my favorite movie that we talked about this week. That's all I, I that's all I wanted to add. Uh, I also thought that it was interesting that this is Universal Pictures' last theatrically released traditional animated movie for now, as well as Universal Pictures' first fully animated movie to have a theatrical release since Balto in 1995. Whoops, I got it mixed up with uh, Curious George. So. Oh, really? Um, I didn't think you did. I thought you were doing something else. I hadn't realized. Yasujiro Ozu's Good Morning is, like, probably his most famous work. And I went into this thinking, man, gonna love this. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, pretty inoffensive. Let, let, let's, let's take a dive. A lighthearted take on director Yasujiro Ozu's perennial theme of the challenges of intergenerational relationships Good Morning tells the story of two young boys who stop speaking in protest after their parents refuse to buy a television set. 
Ozu weaves a wealth of subtle gags through a family portrait as rich as those of his dramatic films, mocking the foibles of the adult world through the eyes of his child protagonists. Shot in stunning color and set in a su suburb of Tokyo, where housewives gossip about the neighbor's new washing machine and unemployed husbands look for work as door-to-door -door salesmen, this charming comedy refashions Ozu's own silent classic, I Was Born, but to gently satirize consumerism in post-war Japan. I am talking very softly because this movie is a soft delight. It is lovely in the way that ASMR is lovely. It is mm. a lot of fun in the way that, like, uh, I don't know, sleeping is fun. I enjoy <laughs> No, that this. makes sense. I enjoy a lot of this movie. I think that it is abs an absolute delight. Uh, and, and it, you know, good morning, more like good movie. Just like everything about it is is a lot of fun and feels well composed. It just, uh, you know, it, 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 I, I don't, I, I want to love this movie and I just really like it. I think it's, I think it's fine. And unfortunately, between this and Tokyo Story, I'm feeling like kind of the same way where I'm like, yeah, it feels like there's a potential for a lot more here. Like this, uh, the, the Criterion description talks about uh, satirizing consumerism in post-war Japan. I didn't see that. I also don't live in post-war Japan and don't know much about it. So, you know, I'm sure there's a lot I do, so maybe I can to... provide a little. Oh, uh... dang. Oh, well, okay, sure. Uh, but yeah. I think in general, uh, Good Morning, it's just, it's a lot of fun. And... Um, not necessarily much else but but sean you liked it a little more than i did yeah well i think it was a matter of expectations because right. we both felt similarly about tokyo story but it seems like where you kind of thought of it as okay this is the redemption this is the ozu that i'll love i kind of thought right. okay this is this is how i felt about one ozu i imagine that that is going to be kind of the default until mm. something changes sure so, sure I ended up a little bit more pleased with this. I like that it was in color. I know that I said that about two separate movies with two separate directors, but there's <laughs> this sort of warm, homey loveliness to it that yeah. not to be the fucking soy Jack where it's like, shows the picture of place and he's going whatever. And then he's smiling and soy jacking. He's putting his hands up when it's place, comma Japan. But it is like it, the Japanese suburb lends itself very picture. well to Ozu's symmetrical, um, like, not top-down, but the, the kind of style that he has where it's like like a little toy town, you know? Like that big mm. rug with all the little roads and everything. It mm. he, he has this sense of like... It's giving Barbie, is what you're saying. It's giving, it's giving Barbie. It's giving Barbie. Barbie. I feel like we could find a better way to say it than that, but actually I don't. Nope, I think nope, that, that is the limit of our abilities to express things is compared <laughs> to the Muppets and Barbie. It's giving Muppets as well while we're at it. Yeah, you know what? It's the Lego movie too. You know, toy toys, you know, it's like that. It... I'm good. <laughs> I don't have okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just I just wanted to leave some space for you. Mm. I like the end. I mean, I I just really like every aspect of this movie and love none of them, which mm -hmm. is you know depending yep. on your expectations that can be frustrating. 
but it wasn't for me. Right. Um, like I, I wasn't expecting, first of all, how genuinely funny it is. And a lot of them are, I want to say cheap laughs, but that doesn't make them any worse with Isamu. Well, they're, easi- they're easily translatable laughs too, you know? Well, I it's mean, even more First than of all, that. this movie supports something we hate here on this podcast. Sean, you want to you wanna give him a thrashing? There's potty humor stuff. There's and potty humor! Boo! I was just going to gloss right over it. but No. We, we, we may as well. Listen, on. it's been a while for us. Take that fart to the you, face. But for us, but like L potty humor. But oh. W to Isamu, the little brother. Yes. I loved his, listen, every time he said, I love you, that got mm. me. Yeah, and it gets, it's too. just a well-developed bit because in the beginning he says it to his mom and you're like, that's cute, that's funny. The delivery is great. And then he <laughs> just says it to like a random older woman, which is a, a beautiful uh, kid thing. And But it's also like, it's also an explore, it, it lends uh, to the exploration that's going on here. This is a movie about sort of like our random greetings to each other, the things that we say that seem meaningless, right? And... For for him, that is kind of meaningless. It's in a different language and blah, blah, blah. You know, it is kind of meaningless. Mm-hmm. But it is, uh, but but it means so much to us, you know, as viewers. And it, it, sh- it has this kind of kinship. It adds this level of kinship between him and the other characters. Yeah. And I think that the subtle interpersonal relations are just, like, a beautiful and I think very rewarding on a rewatch part of this movie i think Mm -hmm. both of us but especially you are going to like it a lot better when we do rewatch it as i plan to eventually because i I love the like the subtle probably gonna buy this one honestly yeah even if you doesn't it feel like a seven out of ten that you want to rewatch more than a lot of eight out of tens or nine yes like you because you're this it has the feeling of being so i don't want to say it like this but like it's so inoffensive it's so pretty you know it it, you put it on and you know what you're gonna get and you'll enjoy yourself and you can put it on like a sunday afternoon without being like oh man i gotta lay out the red carpet and pop some popcorn because we're gonna watch uh like an eight out of ten that i have is like you know robocop right like i love robocop that's actually not a great knights of kabiria right like i want to sit down and take in knights of kabiria i want to understand like the dynamics at play or whatever uh good morning you're like yeah i'm having a good time you know you could just watch it a bunch of times that is why i've seen uh suicide squad more times than most other movies it's a bad movie but every time i put it on i don't feel the need to watch it which makes it good watch you know what i mean no if that's a charitable comparison to this film considering it is not considering that that movie is a piece of actual garbage i think we're talking about two different things oh well you know what you know i'll let you spit I'll let you spit. I'll let you. Finish. That movie's a, that. Be, I just mean that that movie is garbage, but it's nice to let you put it on, and you're like, I don't need to watch it. Similarly, Good Morning. I don't. It's not that I'm saying that this movie's garbage. This movie's very well made. This movie's well composed. But there's no part of it that I. There, I don't feel like every time I watch it, I have to get all of it in, 
you know, I, I don't have to, it's like a meat, it's like food, right? Like, it's like a, del I don't know, if you have a little chicken and rice, you're like, I don't have to eat all of this. I can put some of it in like the fridge for later if I, if I want to, I can have leftovers. But if you have like a steak, you kind of feel the compulsion to be like, well, it's never going to taste this good again. You know, if I like reheat this later, it's not going to taste as good as it does right now when it's like fresh off the grill. So I kind of just got, got to throw it off to the, you know, I got to throw caution to the wind, eat the whole thing, wait for my blood pressure to go up until I like die. Right. Mm -hmm. So Oh, well, I guess yeah. that's what I mean. And meanwhile, like Suicide Squad is like a bowl of cereal. <laughs> mm. You're like, if I eat two bites of this and then throw it out, who cares? Well, I want to explore a little bit about what makes this movie feel rewatchable on a first watch, ironically. And the kind of richness of the intercharacter relations is a big part. Sure. Now, it's hard to d dive into that super specifically because I think that there's a lot that I missed, but I, I can we just take a second, because this is a vibes movie. We can meander a little bit in this discussion to talk sure. about. We haven't been meandering so far. Characters. So. No, we haven't. We've been, we've been fucking professionals because that's who we are. But like, so it opens with Jack Johnson's upside down. Yes. Did you get the, the sense that the couple who they visit to watch their TV that mm -hmm. like, they have this sort of, even though we don't see a ton of them, we know mm. that they're kind of, that people sort of look down on them, or at least the the kids' parents. Yes. Because they're like, oh, the mom used to be a showgirl or whatever. Uh -huh. Working I, Yeah. I got this kind of sense that they had this, this non-condescension towards the kids that yeah. all of the other adults seem to. Did, I, I actually I just okay so, i don't think it's non-condescension i think that they have this sort of like when she's coming over to offer food right that's the same woman who comes over and offers them cake when they first decide that they're gonna like take their uh vow of silence right she I comes over so. she offers them them cake and they're like oh no we're not gonna do it or whatever and but she doesn't like take she doesn't like get mad that they're not talking to her she's just like oh whatever kids being kids I actually don't think that it's a lack of condescension. I think it's sort of like cool mom itis. Like, no, 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 no. I'm I'm cool. I'm hip with the kids. They come over to my house. They watch TV all the time. I give them food. I'm 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 awesome. I get it. You know, we're friends. Like, I'm down with you guys or whatever. I don't think that it's that is its own kind of condescension because it's saying like I understand you or whatever. But is it? I don't know, because they don't, they kind of don't make a big deal of it. I would agree if they seem to be desperately seeking approval, but is that, is the dad there, not, not the dad, they don't have kids, but is the guy there the same mm -hmm. one who's giving them English lessons? I might have gotten that. Confused. No, that guy is, that guy likes the other woman whose name Right, I yeah, okay, so I... But that, she, yeah. that I had confused. I think they were both wearing robes. He, you know, he talks to them like he's not condescending to them. He talks to them about like, hey, you guys should not eat those like stones or whatever. Hey, you guys need to, you know, chill out. But like in a way that's like on their level. And he only is condescending to them when they're not in the room when he's like, ah, kids, they don't understand that good morning actually means like 
way more than they they anticipate or whatever. Mm-hmm. But when they're in the room, he talks to them as equals. And yeah, so I, I, I see that. I read more of the like, oh, you know, you can come over to my house. And like, it's no big deal here. You know, like sort of thinking of kids as doing them a favor by treating them, by, by giving them whatever they want. You know what I mean? And yeah, like, but there's also this... an aunt who's like a cool aunt where like we would go to her house and it's like, oh yeah, you can do, we have no rules here. You know, like that kind of thing. Like she kind of, th- th- that's what that, the that woman especially, I don't even remember the, 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 the man she's married to that much, but like that's what she, the vibe that she was giving, especially cause like the, uh, the, the other parents are like lecturing the kids in front of her. She's like, oh no, it's no big deal. She, they can come over, they can whatever. And the, the parents like, that's not the point. You know what I mean? But isn't there this, conversely from the parents isn't there this kind of especially from the dad like when the dad comes near the end or maybe it was i forget the exact scene but i remember it just like really raised the the hairs on my neck like the way he talked to them because they both just make so little effort to understand the kids Mm -hmm. and they just get so like fiery and immediately indignant when their kids just show this show of defiance and instead of making an effort to understand them i think it's kind of the opposite problem if indeed there is a problem of of too much allowance and i think that that's a big part of the like the description that you read mentioned the sort of intergenerational conflicts that are at play here i mean that was a huge huge part of uh, what was the last one the last Ozu movie we watched. Oh, Tokyo Story. Tokyo Story, yeah. That was a huge part of it there. And what I like about this here is Tokyo Story was very much coming down on the side of the older generations, right? But I think this one leaves a lot of room to say that the kind of negativity goes both ways. You know? like, And even more so, I think the adults come out looking the worse for it. Because not only, you know, the them being very condescending and like not i mean the parents i mean because the english teacher guy he's kind of he takes a second to understand the kids and the lady that he's interested in at least takes the effort to be nice to them but i just i couldn't read it positively the way of treating your kids a way of like we're gonna show you discipline and treat you respect by not trying to understand you and not only not giving you what you want, but saying, you know, it's just because fuck you. We're not going to listen to you. We're not going to try and explain why this, this, and this. And then eventually they just give them what they want anyway for no reason. And I, I think that that kind of, it becomes this sort of idea of we're going to do what we think we should do at any given time, but there's this huge gap of understanding. And I think that, the what makes it so important that the english teacher guy has this sort of like has this sort of idea of you know kids don't understand this this detail of human interaction right now but i want them to organically discover it as opposed to trying to project it upon them because that's what i should do am i making sense here no you are you are i i think that there's something he strikes me as uh, 
let, let, how do I say this? He's a mentor type. You know, he's he's like, but he doesn't like give them the answers. He's just like, you know, we're going to let he, the guy who's like teaching them English. He's very much like, I'm going to let them figure out their thing on their own. And yes, I know the answers, but it would be very rude of me to give them like give them all the answers. And I don't think that the parents are necessarily up for the job. I think that my, one of my biggest problems with the movie is actually that the parents are just like, ah, all right, you guys have been throwing a fit for a couple days. Here's your TV, mm-hmm. you know? And that, if anything, is the bit, biggest bit of, like, satirization of consumerism in the whole movie is that they have the, the scene where, like, uh, a couple characters are at the bar and talking about, like, man, yeah, the, the TV, it's they don't say it, but, like, they're like, it's the boob tube, you know? It's making us all dumber, and it's making convenience into something that uh, is actually actively destroying our society. And yet they buy a tv like who cares right there is that i think that there is something to say be said there about even though it feels like a triumph in the movie there's this undercurrent of yeah we we they won and we are just through our passivity through our like tiredness with like these kids or whatever they're one step closer to a worse society (laughs) to a worse life or whatever And, and Maybe that's a little bit of projection, and especially because, you know, this is – I'm coming from a very American perspective where we all are constantly at war with ourselves, our, our little hypocritical minds talking about, uh, you know, total awareness of our actions while also just, you know, indulging our whims at every moment. But um, – but, and so maybe I'm just projecting that onto post-war Japan. But I do think that uh, there is something to be said about Ozu's thoughts on, on intergenerational uh, relations being so involved with the uh, the uh, the coming of technology. You know, the the, the way mm-hmm. that it's rising up, the way that it's it's not just it's like these the generation uh, the younger generation is just like whining enough that the older generation just kind of gives in and gives up. And that is a, a, whether that's a victory or whether that's a defeat, only time will tell, I guess, you know? And it's not just consumerism. I think it's also cynicism because what happens a couple of times, I mean, well, the, the first, not the only, not that these are the only instances, but one of the first instances that kind of, turn that flip that switch for me is do you remember the extensive plot line in the beginning about how the women's the like local women's association didn't get the proper amount of money and people right. sort of backhanding yep. each other and blaming each other for it and using it as an excuse to get their anger out like there's this kind of the, the idea that politeness and proper ways of treating Lynchian. each other yeah, like there's suburbs are all actually all corrupt, you know. Like yeah, that. there's this sort of backstabbing that comes out, and also, kind of in another way, like on the layer of artificiality, when the unemployed guy gets a job, his job immediately becomes to sell something to his neighbors. So it, the idea that his work requires him to put a sense of distance, emotional distance between the humanity of himself and the people around him that he kind of sells his soul in a sense where now he becomes a salesman rather than the guy next door Mm -hmm. so 
I the more I talk about it, the more I like it. It's one of those. Are you kind of getting I, that sense? I'm getting that too. I actually am starting. I'm starting to like it more. I I I just don't. I don't know if I thematically feel it all perfectly connects, but mm-hmm. you know, it's good. It's just I don't know if I'm I'm completely one hundred percent in on like this working the way that I. I feel it should like as a satire or as something that has thematic purpose or anything. Like, I don't know if I, if I'm, if I'm there, but I, I like, I like it. So that, and that's most, that's what you can ask for from a movie, I guess. Yeah. I'm trailing off because I, I, I think my biggest problem is I just don't have a lot to say about it. I, I think I that's think my biggest that. problem is that I just I don't have enough to say about it. it and I wanted to be blown away by it. And instead I just enjoyed myself and I am not think, and I, every time I try to think more about it, I mostly just think, I don't know. That was a fun experience. Well, during but, our break, I've been kind of thinking about that in the con, that feeling that we've had in a lot of movies in the context yeah. of our podcast and just kind of deciding what this podcast is about I mean, feel free to disagree with me, but this is never going to be an extensive, fully well-researched record of the Criterion Collection. Someday somebody's going to do that, and it'll be pretty cool. But to me, this is a... We're crazy for doing this, whatever this is. (laughs) I don't think anyone's going to do this itself. I don't think anyone's going to be like, we're going to research every single movie. No one's going to finish that. It's about cataloging the experience of going through the film canon as decided in this way by this specific video printing company. And there's, there's value to that because it also just something like talk about variety lights for zero time (laughs) because somebody to somebody that might be the greatest movie in the world and they can talk about it for three and a half hours. Mm -hmm. But you know, that's, that's, that can't be our job. We're simply right. not suited to it. We, at some Look, level, we kind of have trying... to throw our hands up and say it's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to not pretend to do that. So yeah. I wouldn't feel bad about it. I this is the things I want to be a film critic. So eventually, I want to be the guy who's like, I know these things and I, I write these things. But this is just not the format for it. Both because I'm a writer first and foremost, and not a podcaster, and second because I don't do any research. Like we said, we don't do any research for this. This is more about our raw reactions. And yes, some th- we we dig into it thematically, and especially if we know a bunch of stuff about it, great. Then like whatever. But it is our evaluation from the perspective of kind of very modern. Uh, in your case, film likers, in my case, film lovers that uh, are just trying to go back through the the annals of history and dig up things that are considered uh, classics, but like classics that somebody else watches. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and just getting our raw reactions about it. And, and I think that, you know, that I didn't know that we were going to get so self-interrogative on this episode, but I think that well. right that is kind of what this podcast is, it is and what it's be, and what it's slowly developing into is more about our our saying yeah we don't talk that much about variety of lights not because there's not a lot to say but because we're not the people to say it or the harder they come like we we talked about how there's uh like oh there's a white director who's doing this movie like that's just not our our specialty to be able to talk about Jamaican race relations in the same way. Yeah. Good We're morning. Open conversations, not necessarily right. provide the final word on them. Exactly. And 
but we do. We have a ranking, and it's pretty definitive. But you know, that's really yeah. Our like we are. We also do do that, but that's just you know. It's clickbaity. I mean, it's fun, but it, it, but it's and it's clickbaity. It's also like our way of saying like we are logging this. We're also comparing it, and it's a way to bring up everything within the con. Everything we do for this podcast is within the context of other criterions. You know. Yeah. And you know what? I'm a slut for clicks at the end of the day. Every time someone clicks on me, I get a little click, shiver. Click. I go, ooh. I go, yeah. Ah, I make that you sound. Turn, right, you turn into Bjork. That's what you're saying for just a quick second. Mm-hmm. I love when I am clicked on by the computer mouse. It makes oh, me so right. happy. I love so... content and search engine optimization. <laughs> Uh, Bjork, uh, did you oh, know Bjork. that Curious George was originally going to be made into a live-action animated movie in the 1990s, like a half-hybrid, half, like half-animation, half-live-action in the vein of Roger Rabbit, and then uh, it was changed to fully animation by 2006? The man in the yellow hat actually asked to borrow the yellow hat for my wardrobe. It's pretty good. All right, we are going to be moving on to our final film this week and what is it it is oh it's from the beyond it's the blob i got fucking jump scared by the lyrics to the song and it made me have a big smile on my face the lyrics to the song yeah at the beginning where it's like beware of the blob it's sticky it's icky it oozes and goozes at the beginning i vaguely remember that yeah i don't remember the that that being the i don't remember that song having lyrics Okay, yeah, sure. They do that. Yeah. Scary. Ooh. Well, first of all, you watched the right blob, right? The bad one? The 50s one? Yeah, I watched okay. the one with uh, with, with our guy, with our Steve um, McQueen. Yeah, yeah. Is he our guy? I guess. Is he... He's cool. He's I like, pretty what, cool. What are you going to well, say? We'll get to it. A cult classic of gooey greatness, the blob follows the havoc wreaked on a small town by an outer space monster with neither soul nor vertebrae, with Steve McQueen playing the rebel teen who tries to warn the residents about a jelly-like invader. Strong performances and ingenious special effects help the blob transcend the schlock sci-fi and youth delinquency genres from which it originates. Made outside of Hollywood by a maverick film distributor and a crew whose credits mostly comprised religious and educational shorts, the oh blob has watched the careers of McQueen and composer Burt Bacharach, whose bouncy title song is just one of this film's many unexpected pleasures. There, uh, a, there, there's a... The... Some of the description here is is pretty uh, what, how do you say it? Sensual, gooey greatness, unexpected pleasures. It's come. I mean, it's it's ditto after we're done with it. Is the blob? <laughs> ditto. Oh my gosh, I forgot about ditto. Yeah, That's... it's been a second. It's been a while for us. We're not we're not bringing back ditto. 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 Ditto is a good name ditto. for the Pokemon, though. Like, that's an all-time great name for that Pokemon. Because he, like, yeah, sure. mix whatever someone else is doing. It's like saying, when you say ditto. I always wonder about that. Who names the Pokemon? Do me. they... Also, Sean, you gotta let me know, because I honestly don't know. Uh, Pokemon don't have different names in Japan, do they? Oh, they do. They do? Okay, alright. Not all of them, but it's very, very frequent that they just have completely different names, yeah. Got it. Okay. Okay, that makes sense, because, like, a lot of them are very like english jokes i don't know how to like like or or 
plays on mm-hmm. words, right? Like ditto, it's a play on words. It's like, oh, it sounds like it's like just a random word, but it's also what you say when you're saying, oh, I agree with what the other person's saying because right. he mimics other people like whatever. And I'm like, oh, cool. Ditto is not like, you know, English 101 in, in your English textbook. So I, it's cool that they do that. But okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, no, it is. They have um, Japanese other titles. Cool. But in any case. The Blob wouldn't be a good Pokemon, right? I mean, there are Blob Pokemon. There's plenty. I mean, there's Muck. There's Grimer. I guess, I mean, I guess that's redundant. There's Garbodor. Right. I mean, obviously. I don't know Garbodor. Those other two I got. Uh, but, big pile of trash. But is it, but do they eat people? Is it like, uh. Like no, a, I mean, Pokemon don't, mean, like, hurt people. That's true. Why, why don't we ever find out, like, all right, we're not going to get into this. Are we, we going to do the fucking, I, listen, we get on each other. And make sure we don't do hack jokes. Are we going to do the fucking thing where it's like, the Pokemon world doesn't make any damn sense. So I you just, basically no, make children just... dogfight, erm, what the heck? But are they animals? Do they eat, pe- do any Pokemon eat people? No, and if, they don't. If not, why not? They don't, because that's just Is... not how the world works. And Pokemon like fighting each other, and they don't mind because they're friends with humans. It's competition for them. It's sport. Lightning McQueen is amazing in this movie. I think that he has a sort of remove from it where he... I don't want to say amazing. He's very good in this movie. I think he has a remove from it where it makes it sort of like he understands the campiness of the thing in a way that I appreciate. Uh, You know, Just because this is... I mean, this is a classic of like campy culty kind of 1950s science fiction horror and uh i I like that he has it feels like he has like one small step in like okay well this is a joke not in like he's not the rock he's not like winking at the camera or anything Mm -hmm. but he's 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 got a little bit of that where I, i that i appreciate um and uh otherwise this is a this is a solid 1950s science fiction uh, you know, horror movie, just like whatever the things from outer space or whatever. Uh, uh, can, can you name another one? Uh, there's probably oh, one called God. like the robots, or uh, they came from above or something. Who knows? Terror from the skies, whatever. Like th- those kinds of movies are, are 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 should be represented in the collection and i think that this is a solid representation for him and steve mcqueen's in it so you know you got an extra reason to to like it um and that's it i enjoyed it i had fun watching it i didn't think about it again here's the thing though is i am familiar with the remake of the blob the frank darabont one have you seen that i have heard about it i have not seen it it's awesome. It's actually so, so good. And there are a ton of... I mean, basically every single thing is improved. It's better shot. It's... I mean, it's about... No, it's better acted. I mean, Steve McQueen is like classic Hollywood leading man type, and he's fine and all. First of all, both of us agreed... Well, I mean, it's more so my contention that he looks like shit. I did not realize. I mean, it's obviously. I agree. I'm not saying like oh, only because know. he's supposed to be a teenager. Honestly, no, I, no, like, no, 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 no. If they presented this I as just, like a 30 year old man, I'd be like, oh, he looks. 
Yes, but here's the thing. He looks like Steve McQueen in this movie. He looks like he's in his thirties. I don't sure. care how old you're asking me to believe someone is, like they're older than a teenager, whatever. That's not what I'm saying. He is because he's not an ugly man, but he just looks so old for 28. It was legitimately kind of distracting. He he's looks, got some city miles on him, as they say in Men in Black Three. You know, those, those years are, are city miles. Is it? I don't know why I said it. Like, like, like it wasn't no it's good. that just is a pretty good joke. that's a will smith joke and maybe the best part of men in black 3 is that uh the younger tommy lee jones does not look very much younger than tommy lee jones and mm-hmm. he asks him how old he is and he's like it's, i'm 28 and he's like you got some city miles on you yeah that's pretty good <laughs> hey men in black <laughs> here for men in black folks men in black uh, only here for men in black one and that joke in men in black three and uh uh, what's his name? Thanos. What's his name? Uh, uh, Josh Brolin? Josh Brolin. Yeah, Josh Brolin is the guy who plays young Tommy Lee Jones. His performance in Men in Black 3 and all of Men in Black 1 are what we stand. We don't stand any of Men in Black 2. We don't stand most of Men in Black 3. Okay. You said stand the last time, but you very distinctly said stand the first couple Stand, 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 allege. No, you know what? We stand. We stand for it, like the flag. You know what? I'm standing up right now. Sean can attest, I'm standing up right now for Men in Black 1 and for Josh Brolin's performance in Men in Black 3 and that joke in Men in Black 3, but nothing else. I'm not standing. You can attest. I'm, I'm now sitting down for, for Men in Black 2 and for most of Men in Black 3. Most of Men in Black 3, other than that joke and Josh Brolin's performance, garbage. We sit down for it. But I am standing. I'm, I'm back to standing up again for Men in Black 1 oh and God. parts of Men in Black 3. All right. Thank you. This You're very visual joke brought to you by our boys at... Uh, by our boys 3D in blue. podcasts, you know, if you want to get the extra dimension of sight to your podcast, then go somewhere else. <laughs> I just genuinely think, look, I'm, I'm an MST3K guy, and I've watched, like, a ton of these, like, old school, you know, crappy sci-fi movies. And so I, I'm not saying that I, like, have knowledge about them, but I just respect that this is, like, a good version of them. I, mm. I think it's fine. I think it is effective and horrifying in some moments and a lot of fun in most. Uh, I think Steve McQueen is good. And yeah, he, he looks bad. Uh, but I don't know. It's cool. It's fine. So. I, I do want to, I think we both very much agree that the actual blob effects are the highlight. Oh, for sure. They look so good. But Because you, mean... you, you're you constantly in wonderment at them you know you're constantly like how it is it, that i i can respect a movie that makes you think how did they do that every once in a while because then because i'm always wondering like you know when when it's really keeping its form i'm wondering like how are they making it look so good how are they making it move in this specific way and roll around on the ground and you know all these things oh that one there you know that shot it looked a little darker than usual i wonder what they added to the the mixture that made it look darker in that shot or whatever mm-hmm. um it's just it's always impressive and uh yeah and and, and so it is definitely the standout 100 percent even more than burt Bacharach's uh score or bouncy title song and uh you know, Mr. Kachow over here. 
It is a good title song. Take another listen to it. The lyrics are great. I don't remember any of them. I oh, just the, remember what they the, feel like. It, here we go. It's, um, oh, the blob, it's squishy. Um, oh, also- the blob. Oh, this fucking sucks. Fuck, I hate the blob. Oh, fuck this. It's the blob. I, I thought oh. I thought Seth Rogen was going to be in this movie. Yeah, me too, actually. <laughs> what, wait, why are we saying that? <laughs> I can't do the. Can you do the laugh? Can you do the? <laughs> that's pretty good. Because he's the blob. He, pl- you know he plays the blob. The other one. He played Undertale. Oh yes. Yeah, oh, that was. I could, used to be better at it. Back when Undertale was just a little bit more culturally relevant. Not that it's Undertale not. is good. That's the thing. I Delta Rune is not culturally re- relevant. Undertale is. This is the problem with Undertale, is that mm-hmm. it was a moment when it didn't deserve to be a moment. It deserved to be, like, a, like, landmark, if that makes any sense. Like, kind of, do you, but, like, is anyone still talking about Undertale now? Oh, yeah. Or is everyone like, oh, that was the something we did in whatever year? What did it come out? Like, 2016? Like, is that what people You want it to be around when it was, it's one game that came out seven years ago? I don't know. I feel like you got as much mileage out of it as you can... Yeah, I don't know. I just don't hear people being like, I don't know. I'm not that big into gamer culture, but I don't hear people being looking back at Undertale and being like, and that was a really good, important game. In the same like in the, in the Criterion collection of 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 video games, it sh- it should be included. That's how I feel personally. That's from coming from a guy who's never played a Zelda game. <laughs> That's an idea, Criterion Collection for video games, I mean. That's an idea that every person who's played a video game has. Yep. And yep, they 100%. always think that they're the first person to think of it. Not that I think that's the case. No, you. you've brought it up before. No, so I'm I, I'm not thinking of it as my own idea. Mm-hmm. Obviously, people have done it. I, we talked about this. Do you know The Completionist? Have I talked to you about this before? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've talked about this. How he did his whole, like, I have a Wii U with every game off of the Wii U shop, uh-huh. like, put together or whatever, and sent it to some video game preservation society or whatever. I always think about that, and I'm like, someone should do that, but, like, with the ten greatest games of all time. Just find one, make a, syst- a custom-made system, buy whatever, the rights to do Super Mario Brothers 3, to... What else? I, what 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 are we talking here? Last of Us, whatever it is. Like you're you're. I mean, I've got my own, but you know. Sure, your stereotype. Okay, but I just mean your stereotypical. Your Citizen Kane's, your Godfather's, your the Wizard of Oz. Throw them all together on there and be like, this is one system where you can play these ten of the greatest games of all time. And mm-hmm. I think Undertale. I don't think it's the greatest game of all time, but deserves to be in the conversation if you're making like 20 of these you know were you around for when the game theory guy gave undertale on a flash drive to the pope yes i was did you hear he he just he just quit i mean now uh, when the this pope? comes out <laughs> the pope yep the pope just quit listen yeah. i'm done a couple weeks ago the pope just quit we just heard about I'm that looking for a this change kind of career. older news at this point that the, that the pope quit <laughs> yeah, this new candidate for CFO, he's pretty interesting. Uh, his resume isn't very robust, but for a while he was the Pope. He's looking he's to buy bring Twitter some new or something. Stuff. He's, he's looking gonna... to shake things up. 
the Pope. Yeah. <laughs> the Game Theory the guy Pope. quit, MatPat. Yeah, just a couple days ago, as of the record, this recording, a couple weeks ago, as of the posting, he uh, he posted his uh, goodbye video called Goodbye Internet. Well, hey, you know, he's going out on top after the FNAF cameo. I mean, that is kind of the peak, right? That's like, as good it as feels it like, gets, yeah. That's as good as it gets for someone in Matt Pat's position. Like, you got to say your little catchphrase in the, the movie. In the best movie of all time. <laughs> the greatest movie ever made. When is that coming to the collection? Any day now. As soon as the check clears from <laughs> me. You uh. can buy your way into the collection now, but you can only buy your way in like another movie you're like hey i'm I'm gonna slip you a check i want to see i don't know uh what, what's that crayon movie you love the hero of color, hero city. Of color city i've <laughs> never brought it up on the podcast you've just been so mystified ever since seeing <laughs> me upload it on letterboxd which is yep. fair it's fair because it's because Cure of Color City was a joke that I had heard about. Like people have used that as a joke before to me, and I've been like, "Oh, okay, I get the joke." It's like whatever. And the fact that you watched it, I was just like, "Yep, this is this is Sean. I know this person <laughs> for sure." Like, like you actually sat down and watched it and didn't just use it as a joke. You you saw it. You were there. Your eyes were open. I assume. My oh well. My eyes were wide open. I'm woke to hero of color city. Don't you worry. Um, the blob, huh? Let's get bit back on topic. The creators of the original Curious George, the Rays, fled Paris, France, just before Hitler's army invaded during World War II oh, on wow. homemade bicycles and managed to take a few in-progress manuscripts with them. So that's pretty fascinating. That's pretty cool. That is, I mean, that's pretty. That is pretty cool of them to to run away from Hitler. I mean, do you think sure. they were like on the same train? Well, no, we just said they were on bikes. Do you think they were pedaling alongside the train that Fritz Lang was on? That that must have been it. And they were they looked at him and he was like, mm, "Yes, you know what, Metropolis." <laughs> they were like, "What if instead of a man in a black eye patch?" Yeah, Fritz Lang was actually wearing, like, all yellow <laughs> that day. They were like, wait a second. And they were all dressed as, like... Well, if that's the direction not. you're going with the joke, then my joke doesn't make sense. <laughs> I know. I, mine, because I, I plussed it, but I also crushed it. Because <laughs> you like my... Because you like yours better. Okay. Yep. I, you know yep. what? That's fair. We're like siblings at this point. Like, just like, you know what? Screw your joke. Mine's better. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. Whatever, fuck me. I'm <laughs> I, I, I can't wanna, believe we've I talked for... To... This feels like a longer episode than it is because we didn't talk that much about the movies, but we're only an hour and a half in. Like, we have time. <laughs> yeah, we could fucking shoot the shit. Who cares? <laughs> right. I want to, at the very least, give this, clear this space to shout out the Blob remake because mm. unlike this, which I don't feel elevates the genre... And is merely an example of the genre um, with some pretty good effects. The Blob remake legitimately feels like a good version of a cheapo 1950s sci-fi movie. Where you get a really good sense of the small town, all of the characters' relationships and everything. Not that this version of it, the old one, does a terrible version of that. Mm -hmm. But 
it's not a very strong script and it is brought down by just constant digressions and side quests and things getting in the way. Of the like action. our podcast. <laughs> very no, much like our podcast. Like, not at all like that. Not even a little bit. And I'm it's I'm mortified for you that you've said this thing, because it just makes You're no right. sense. But You're right. We're always focused on the fact that when George is messing with the big box of clothes on the ship, a pair of wait, wait, hold on, on his head resembles blues from blues glues. Time out. The big box of clothes? <laughs> it's a big box of clothes, according to IMDB trivia, which is always reliable. It says that it 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 falls on his head and resem- it, that it resembles blue from Blue's Clues. That's a fun fact. Ten people found that helpful. These are really good facts. <laughs> These good are fact. about as good as fucking facts get. <laughs> oh. Oh. I really want to shout out. I already said that about the Blob remake. Well, I'm going to keep talking about it anyway. Because in this this movie, the the digressions, so much of it is to try and get the camera away from the Blob because they don't have enough time and money to make that Blob. Which, you know, it is what it is. But... And also because that's the trope, you know? Like, they always have to have, like, it's like a disaster movie or a prequel to these well, disasters. Well, it's the trope prequel, because they don't. Prequel. Like, a pre, it, uh, like, it's before these disaster movies came, like, became whatever, Godzilla and, you know, Roland Emmerich type stuff or, or even, like, Airplane, right? Um, or Airport, I guess, is the actual one. Um, they were these. They were, like, the disaster is something is coming from the beyond, dun-dun-dun, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the trope because every movie kind of had to do that. Because every movie is, I mean, in this genre at this time. Sure. They Couldn't just don't have the proper to. amount of money to show the weird alien from outer space. Sure. You know? But uh, sure. something There's that also- I will say, which makes it even more kind of disappointing that we don't see that much of the blob, uh-huh. is that... They are genuinely very, not only does it look good, as we've been talking about, but they're very creative with the stuff that they do with it. Like him coming out of the theater when the, or like the projector room. Yeah, Yeah, that's the number one. I mean, the vent thing is really cool. I also like, I like it. Yeah, he was sus. I also like when that's when the uh, when the blob is sus. <laughs> you you, gotta you not guys do like that. that? Do you fucking stupid pieces <laughs> of shit like that? Do you fucking dumb fucks like that? Is that something that you want? Do you want I... me to say it more? Because I'll do it. I always wonder when Tyler's editing these episodes. He's like has to like sit down and be like, I wonder what these boys are up to today. Like. Uh-huh. And he just hears us, like, laughing to ourselves about nothing. Or at least I'm laughing to myself about nothing. And you're just yelling, like, you like that? You you, you think it's good? Like, what? I'm doing this. To be fair. <laughs> Stop! <laughs> to be fair, our... To be fair, our listenership also is doing that thing. Like, they're tuning in being like, what are the boys up to? And <laughs> we're serving in this heaping mound of blob. Yeah. Hey. No, you're you're right. It's also effective. Like the way that it can get into any room and go under the door, or the way that it can, you know, ooze through an area. It, it's movement. It's the, the the movement itself is 
terrifyingly and otherworldly and effective and the way that it can't be reasoned with the shot when it gets shot you kind of expect kind of like a t-1000 like you know like part of it goes off to the side and part of it you know like like the metal like coming off it or whatever and there's some of that but it is actually really understated because mm-hmm. it's sort of otherworldly it's so it, it's like it barely is affected by any of those things in fact, when okay, this is actually a budget constraint, but like when it gets electrocuted, you don't see it get electrocuted. You just see him shoot the wire, and then they cut to the guys going, "It didn't work." Yeah, <laughs> which is a budget constraint, but also it lends to the sort of thing of like that thing, whatever you're imagining, it, it, it like it just it did not. There was no like, and like oh, and like parts of it came off, and then it started moving again. It just. Right was unaffected and, uh, and that's pretty cool it is i i mean the 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 imdb uh you know or sorry the criterion okay, i thought you were about to do it again i'm so sorry the criterion cover i'm so sorry for scaring you there the criterion cover set has like the poster on it and it says indescribable indestructible nothing can stop it and you know I think that that is it's it, it totally does what it sets out to do with that mm-hmm. in that way. Um, yeah, I also think the Blob is cool. Like, I want more the Blob. Get 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 Seth Rogen back on the mic. Get him doing some stuff. I mean, it makes sense that he's like the standout guy in in his movie is because like there's all these uh, interpreting the Blob. It, it's so it's so easy to reinterpret in so many ways he can be a superhero he can be a whatever and and it's enjoyable wait the blob yeah the blob i don't know what you're do you not understand are you not hearing seth rogan as the blob we all know this we all know this sean come on we all know this we all know this sean (laughs) do you want to end the episode (laughs) <laughs> yeah, let's end the episode. Uh, so let's talk rankings. Do I sound annoyed? Do I sound like I don't like this anymore? I like this. This is fun. I enjoy this podcast. You losers out there. I really like doing this and you need to like accept I, You didn't before, but now you sound like defiant. I, I am. I'm defiant of... They're all thinking I don't like doing this anymore. I like it. I love it. You know what? How You know how much I love it? I'm going to show you my rankings this week. I ranked oh all my these. God. No! They were... No. I liked them a lot, and now I'm going to prove it by ranking a couple of these. I'm going to rank them pretty low, but that doesn't mean I didn't <laughs> enjoy the whole experience overall. It just means that I didn't love these moves. Okay, so we got Variety Lights coming in at one... Uh, uh, we got... Sorry. We have 162 movies in uh, the collection so far watched, and holy cow, out of one uh, 100... Whatever I said, 126 is Variety Lights. It's right below Curious Case of Benjamin Button for me and right above The Rock. It's... Uh, you know what? I'm moving it below the rock. It's going below the rock and going right above Time Bandits. I think it deserves that level of like, kind of fun. There's some artistry at play here a bit, but really at the end of the day, I don't really want to talk about it any more than this sentence. The Blob comes at net 118, not that far above it. Uh, better than the element of crime, which I know you love, but mm. right below the unbearable lightness of being. Again, you kind of love that one, but. I think it's proximity to the Carnival of Souls, which is two below it. 
is is more notable here. Uh, it kind of belongs in this category of like you know, it's fine. It's a good example of its of its thing, but really its thing was not like the greatest in the first place. Number ninety one is uh, is Good Morning, right above Journey to the Beginning of Time, right below Great Expectations, and I think that this is these three. I mean. There's also Fatal Glass of Beer in this area, Black Orpheus, Amarcord, where I'm like, there's a vibe here that I really enjoy. It is a little soft. It is not exactly uh, well-constructed uh, thematically, perhaps. Perhaps I didn't like love everything it was doing, but the actual, just the feeling of watching it is is worth the experience. The Harder They Come, for all my praising, didn't come out that high. It came in at number 62, right below Raging Bull. So it's in great company and right above the wages of fear. Really enjoyed this one. And over and uh, I just, I think I wish I, there were more to watch from this filmmaker. And maybe I'll just get more into Jamaican cinema in general. Definitely going to seek out this DVD and uh, maybe try to see if there's a Blu-ray release somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That's my list. You're stuck okay. with it. I enjoyed it. I liked ranking those things. I enjoyed that experience. Okay. Hey, we believe you. It's okay. I'm just going to nope. do my list, all right? Uh-huh. Is that fine? Okay. okay. I guess. The blob okay. is low. It's at number 155, just below Oakja, just above Whoa. The Man Who Knew Too Much. Whoa, it's you too- hate Oakja. I do not like Oakja. But Oakja, remember, I said had redeeming qualities. But sure. there were things that I very much disliked about it. The Blob, mm-hmm. I just cannot compare favorably to the much superior remake. Um, sure, I get so you. I expectations. We're really talking expectations. expectations. Great expectations. Uh-huh. Sweet. Variety Lights, it's at 151. It's above Benjamin Button, above, sorry, below Life of Brian. Listen, Wait. I had nothing to say about it when he carved out a segment for it. Don't expect him to say anything about it here. <laughs> The harder they come, we did We did talk about how much we liked it, so I'm a little bit embarrassed, but it's not a bad spot, even though it sounds like it, because we're getting pretty mm-hmm. high here. It's at 121. Sorry, 120. Whoa. Which is literally twice as low as yours. That's just, so low, Sean. It's above Notorious, and it's below Dragon Inn, if that makes it better. Oh my gosh. So you put it below where I put the blob. Jesus. That's well, crazy. I like it more than you like the blob, so. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But in the re- yeah, the rankings, of course, don't always reflect us in the same way. You you know what, Sean? I think you might like the collection more than me. Is that true? I, Is that, I think I might just like, quantify. here's the thing. I think you like movies more than me, mm-hmm. but every time we do this, that thesis is tested. <laughs> That's all I'll say. You seem to be more excited about the concept of movies, and yet. And yet. And yet. I, and yet, a lot of the times I'm like, yeah, this was a movie. It sure. Yeah. <laughs> Double checked, watched it today. Sure was a movie. Yeah, I think you're supposed to like him a little more than that, but hey, you know. Fair enough. It's, it's simply none of my business. <laughs> Uh, and Good Morning is at 108 to cap mm. it off. Nothing, let alone, I mean, Solo Line, it's not even breaking the top 100, but it's above Sid and Nancy, below Carnival of Souls. I mean, that's one that I could move up, but uh, I didn't 
So, sure. That's that. And that's that. And next week, speaking of weeks that are tough, but that I still want to do because I love doing this. This podcast rules. Next week, we gotta talk. We gotta talk the Eisensteins. The most important, you know, Sergei Eisenstein, a very important filmmaker, an absolutely essential filmmaker. He's he's got some he's got some bangers. I've never seen any of them, but I'm sure that they exist. <laughs> and so we have to cover Sergei Eisenstein. We got first we got Pygmalion, which is uh, the adaptation. We first we got the adaptation of of the play Pygmalion, which is what eventually becomes My Fair Lady and blah blah blah. Who cares? We got Sergei Eisenstein giving us three. Oh, okay. So you're doing movies. it on purpose, I see. Yep. Uh, we, we've got three. We he's got three uh, amazing movies. Uh, they are what's the first one called? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have it pulled up, and you didn't put it on the roadmap yet, so I haven't. So I was <laughs> Alexander Nevsky. Alexander Nevsky. We got Alexander Nevsky. We've got Ivan the Terrible Part One and Ivan the Terrible Part Two. So those are going to be great. Pygmalion, Alexander Nevsky. I am terrible part one. I am terrible part two. From Sergei Eisenstein. We're we're super Sergei Eisenstein. Um, Ser- Sergio himself. Really uh-huh. excited to be looking through those. So that means no picks for us, Sean. Um, nope. I think we're gonna come back really hard with really strong picks the, the following week. But we for always now, always do. <laughs> but for now, definitely check us out this week. And you know what? We're going to put a little tease here because I feel like I was too down on it. Next week, we're going to also come in with uh, three three video games we think should be in the Video Game Criterion Collection. Why oh, not? Just throw idea. it together. Just three. Not, not, or, or more, but at least three. All right? We're going to throw those on. We're not going to go crazy with it. I like we're that. not going to go crazy. Just, yeah. So Something to tease out. We'll put that in the middle of the episode to keep you... <laughs> you've those crazy among you who do not like Eisenstein films uh, should still listen in for that. So definitely check that out. Yeah. And with that, thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Thank you to Tyler Frazier for our editing. Check us out. We are an Anthony Reviews podcast, so check us out on anthonyreviews.com. Check I, us out. Just check us out. Just check us out. Just, just look at... Just, look at the, you know what? Just check us out. Just check it out. Just check it out. Um, like, go to the store... Go, go to self-checkout and then check us out. You know, check us out yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, just hey, posted a, out. I just posted an article. Oh, stop it. <laughs> I can't believe that's something that's in, that's posted on the internet, Sean. Um, I just posted a article that if you just read the title will definitely get me canceled called Are Social Justice Superheroes Bad? Uh, you can definitely check that out at com and find out that uh, actually... I don't think they are, but you need to, so you need to chill out and not just read the title. Um, but that's, you can read all that at anthonyviews.com. Um, and as always, I am, Sean, describe what I'm doing right now. Jerking off. What am I doing? I'm, I'm standing up. I'm standing up. I'm looking. And jerking over. off. I'm looking over at my copy of Men in Black. He's looking at his cock. I've got He's it. cranking it. J-K-L-M, Men in Black. I've got it right here. I'm okay. standing for it. I've got it right in my hands. And I have Men in Black 3 around here somewhere, but just parts of that one should be Shooting stood up ropes. for. I'm standing for it. 
Um, and 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 this is how we're ending up the episode. And uh, when Clovis, the contractor inventor for the museum, comes to Ted's office for his payment, Ted quickly comes out into the hall and closes his door in order to prevent George from being discovered. On the wall is a museum display of aeroplanes. Clovis is also the name of a famous prehistoric arrowhead manufacturing site. I mean, they're both some of the best in their respective. Dude, if you just saw what I did in Baldur's Gate, you would be fucking so proud of me. Okay, so imagine Baldur's Gate during our podcast. So there's two levels, right? I'm in the Gandhian factory where they make the steel sentries. For those of you who have played it, that's not important. Hashtag leave it in 2023. But there's okay. There's a there's a ground floor. Where there's a steel guardian who's just about to explode because before they die, they do a self-destruct thing. And I'm on the level above it because I went up there because I'm kind of running low on health right now. So I wanted to get away from the action and Lazel flew up there, right? And then a guy was above me and I didn't even realize I just had a bonus action left after I was done attacking. So I shoved him into where the guardian is about to explode and he's going to fucking die. That was awesome. I didn't even realize I meant to do that. If I was good at the game, I'd be doing that shit every turn.